Welcome to Mysterious Goings On. We're going to get right to the show after these messages. You know, a lot of Americans may not be aware that we are actually in a war right here on American soil and we don't even know about it. And that is just a small part of what we're going to talk about today as we talk to Ed McDonald. Ed McDonald is the author of Korea's Game, an explosive debut thriller by a law enforcement expert, Ed McDonald. It's set in Arizona during the two months leading up to North Korea's combined nuclear and cyber attack on the U.S. and the two days immediately following. This is gripping stuff, folks, and what I'm really excited about talking about is this great book, but also about Ed's thoughts on just how vulnerable the United States may well be to cyber attack. So let's welcome Ed McDonald to Mysterious Goings On. Welcome, Ed. Well, good morning. I'm really glad to be here. It's good to have you. Now, just to kind of go through your bio a little bit, some kind of cool stuff here. You worked with the U.S. Congress to develop a national day to commemorate the Challenger astronauts, which that that's... Uh, astronaut. I'm a huge astronaut fan. I read that and I was just so thrilled to hear that. But you've, you've done a National Day of Excellence for years and you served as a reserve police officer in Tucson and uh, you've been, you were director of academic programs and pubs uh, editor for the Final Option Tactical Force Institute, an international post-grad training institute for SWAT and hostage rescue team operators. You've edited, illustrated, and published eight advanced law enforcement tactical textbooks. And yeah, you spent a little bit of time in the classroom. You've got two master's degrees and you've lived in some pretty interesting places. You've lived in Mexico, Russia, Kazakhstan, and of course, the good old United States. You've you've uh, had kind of a fun life so far, haven't you? Uh, and I'm still enjoying it. As a matter <laughs> of fact, I'm an old bird and the last 20 years have been the most fun and happiest of my life. I want to jump into that then. You're having most fun and you're happiest, but you're clearly concerned about cybersecurity vulnerabilities in our country. When did this jump onto your radar personally, this topic? It really hit me when I read Ted Koppel's book, Lights Out. Hmm. He, uh, he very carefully details everything you would ever want to know about America's power grid basically uh, explaining how it's antiquated. It was never intended for the purpose it's being used for now. And uh, on its own, it can have enough problems, but it's very, very vulnerable to attack. And by attack, I mean, I don't mean something that would put the lights out for a couple of days. Uh, a real cyber attack would put the power out for eight, 10, 12, 15 years. Years. No My kidding. goodness, you said... You said years, my goodness. You know, I'm, I'm, uh, I have not read Koppel's book, but I have followed Richard Clark, former U.S. cybersecurity czar, and he has a podcast. Uh, I believe it's called Future State, and he often has talked about this too. It's chilling stuff. It scared the you know what out of me because it, I just don't think people clearly understand that that, like you just said, it's a very vulnerable uh, state we're in, and. You tell me, Ed, if I'm reaching, but right now, as we record this on February 17th, 2021, the entire state of Texas is in a state of emergency because their power grid just can't handle the demand. That's not even talking about sabotage, right? No, that's right. And not, and not only that, but Texas has one of the finest power grids in the 50 states. Holy cow. Holy cow. So what... 
what is the i assume the entryway of course it's cyber being that it's through the internet through security systems like this uh, who is gunning for us and if so uh why would you say who's the number one that's looking to make some mischief with our power grid in your book it's north korea it's it, right it's north korea in the book but but there are there are four four hostile actors which have the power to absolutely do this they're china russia iran and North Korea. China and Russia are never going to do it because uh, we'd know they did it and we would nuke them and they know it. Ira uh, Iran would only do it if they were undergoing a total uh, government crash and they were all going to be out of, out of work in a week and they figure let's, you know, let's hit the United States while we're at it. Uh, no, that's not real likely. Now North Korea is uh, dictated by a, an unstable actor a man yeah. who could easily persuade himself that he could get away with it. And when people think they can get away with it, that makes them very dangerous. You just said something really provocative. You, you said China or Russia, now, you said they wouldn't do it. And my first thought before you finished your sentence was because our economy, especially with China, they need our economy. They, there is no profit for them to wreck our economy, I don't think. Russia maybe less or so, but you said nuke them. So are you saying, do you sincerely believe that if, if they did make such a cyber attack that, that effectively uh, disabled many of our larger population centers, that we would actually take that kind of uh, action with nuclear weapons? I'm confident we would. You have to understand a cyber attack like that. We've got 330 million people and living in America. Uh, probably 100 million of them would die in the, in the first several years following a cyber attack. You know, that's because we're used, of... to, we're used to what I think of as the, uh, the Louisiana syndrome, where there's a, a huge uh, hurricane hits Florida or it hits Louisiana. And I mean, you know, everything is trashed, but we send in the army and we send in FEMA and they have unlimited trucks and food and repairmen. And they come in there and they fix everything in a period over a period of months. And uh, New Orleans or, uh, or Miami are back up and running. But if you knock out 40 states, the other 12 states can't just come in and put the other 40 states back up. Yeah, that's a good point. Now, and there would after talk a cyber attack, there'd be a few states that weren't touched, but yeah. they'd still have trouble because they wouldn't be able to get uh, gasoline from uh, Galveston. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, we're talking supply chain disaster here. Absolutely. And we, yeah. and we yeah. uh, that's our, our supply chain works so well that we complain if uh, if we can't get Twinkies. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> yeah, I'm sitting here in in basically blizzard uh, Blizzardville, Kansas City, Missouri, and you know I've heard somebody complain uh, on the news that their Amazon delivery was a day late, which is just we are spoiled in a, in a nice way, but we are spoiled in America. And I think what you're you're bringing about here is is terrifying. I almost think you know when this book with with uh, Korea's game, I was thinking about, well, how, you know, is this Tom Clancyville we're in, or are we in a horror movie? Uh, well, real <laughs> life could turn into a horror movie. <clears throat> but, you know, America right. is the uh, most powerful country in the history of the world. We're the wealthiest country in the history of the world. And we're the only country with a colossal wealthy middle class in history. Uh, everybody in the world wants to come here. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, but it, it, what makes us the envy of the world can make us a juicy target. 
let's talk a little let's talk about korea's game here i uh I, I, I love this because what you're doing, you're pulling together obvious national security knowledge um, with your law enforcement background and, and your technical knowledge relating to electronic surveillance and cyber warfare. And it's all pulled together. And you've got this character, uh, lead character's name is Murph. It's a, a former Army Ranger who is now a civil servant, and he's faced with a couple of problems, right? So what's his first problem? What's, what's he got to do first? He's a guy who has the foresight to, uh, to see the, 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 the imminence and the utter disaster that would come with a cyber attack. And he has a job working as a, a director of emergency preparedness for a little, for a little village, uh, a mythical town that I made up north of Tucson, which I call Tortolita. And he is trying to get, uh, he's trying to get distributed power across uh, the area, his town and the area around it. And by distributed power, I'm basically talking about microgrids. For, for example, if, the, if, if there were a cyber crash, uh, what, are, what, what are the police gonna do? The police are gonna have a lot of trouble just surviving. For one thing, people know where they live, they'll go there and kill them uh, because you know, people don't like cops. Uh, and then, you know, the cops and the cops won't have any way of reacting, responding, knowing what to do. So uh, he has uh, done a colossal fundraising drive and he has a, a, a multimillionaire friend who became an angel and donated money to the county money. And they built the prototype of the, the colossal police substation uh, that would have its own power supply, its own water supply, that have big storage areas for freeze-dried food so, and big dormitories so that if Tucson were knocked out, their police could come work out of the substation with the deputy sheriffs and they wouldn't be killed in their sleep and they would be able to still answer calls. If somebody called for help, they'd be able to go and respond. They uh, made a deal with the telephone companies to put up a, uh, a redundant uh, uh, telephone broadcast tower on their, on their station so that for a period of space of more 10, 12 miles around, people could still use their phones to call the police. Hmm. So he, he's, he set up a prototype, which he's hoping people around the United States will copy. And then he's right. going to uh, small businesses, like people who are setting up like a uh, uh, emergency, um, uh, standalone emergency room, something like that. And he's saying, you know, your standalone emergency room should not be depending on municipal power. You should have your own water supply and your own electric, uh, electrical system, not, not just a generator and a month's supply of propane, but your own microgrid, which generates power for years. Because uh, if there's a real disaster, no, where are people going to come except to you? So, uh, you know, so you, he's trying to get people to convert with the idea that he would spread this around the, around the country so that it, in the event of a real disaster, people could go still go to the dentist. Hmm. And, and he's doing all this, this incredibly hard work against the backdrop of uh, problems at home, right? Mm -hmm. That's right. And he, uh, he's, he doesn't, he, like me, he has no idea when a cyber strike, strike could come. It could come after I die of old age or it could come today. So he's just working away, doing his best. And so in the course of all this, while you're, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of stress and uh, momentum in the book where people are constantly worried about what's going to happen here, what's going to happen there. But you get to hear him making his pitch to people and you're feeling sorry for him because most people turn him down. But no. in the process of this, you're learning a lot of what Ted Koppel had to say. 
And he's he's dealing with uh, his, he's got his daughter who he's estranged from. He's got issues with his ex-wife. Uh, this this is all this is all coming together into a really tight thriller. Yeah, you know, um, we 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 all are familiar with the, the the broken home syndrome, where you have mother and father separated for whatever reason, however good or bad, and uh, the child only has one parent, and uh, sometimes they get the good parent, and sometimes they get the bad parent. And, uh, you know, and sometimes they get the good parent who then becomes the bad parent. Hmm. You, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot going on. There's a lot, a lot of kids, you know, who are, who are getting by with, you know, half the parenting that they need. And that's, that's the case in this story. Uh, Murph uh, got married in his innocent youth and he got married to someone that he didn't have the sophistication to see that she had a deteriorating personality. And uh, finally, they, uh, they got divorced. She was an alcoholic, but he, he knew she could take care of his dog. And uh, she, she uh, now here, I'm kind of playing to men who've got a bad situation and they, they want to be someone sympathize with them. It's that she got an order of protection to keep him away when he was really the better character. So he can't go hmm. see his daughter and he doesn't know his wife's deteriorating into alcoholism. And when she gets a bad boyfriend, then she, then she goes into drug addiction. He has no clue. Whenever he whenever he texts his daughter, his mother is the mother has confiscated her phone and she texts back, Dad, leave me alone. And he's noble. He thinks that he should leave her alone. He has no idea what's happening to this poor girl because the boyfriend is uh, the archetypical bad guy. Yeah. He uh, he doesn't care about the mother. Uh, he's using her as a as a gateway to get the daughter, who is 14 going on 15 and look, looks older. And she is like the perfect daughter everybody would want. She's a good kid. She'd make straight A's. All she wants is to go to college. And uh, when something uh, when something bad happens at school where she's suspended for a couple of days, he you know goes along with the idea that maybe she's been thrown out of school permanently. And he gets her a job working at this horrible place, and he knows she'll hate it. And after she hates her job enough. He says, you know, I could get you a job, a job dancing as a cheerleader at the two-bit bar. Uh-huh. And uh, and he and he has a long talk with the owner of the bar. And the guy, the guy doesn't want a cheerleader, but he'd be glad to seduce this girl and, and get all the customers uh, betting on when they can get her to turn into a real uh, you know a, a pole dancer. And of course, the girl is she's not dumb, she's smart, but she can she's she's she gets su sucked into this. And her yeah. father has no clue. So you're, re you're going back and forth between these two stories. And you're wondering, when is he going to catch on? Oh, my God, you know, he's got to get up there and do something. Because, you, you know, this guy's a man of action. He would do something. But he's, he's being noble, you know, and he's not interfering in her, in her life. So um, all of that is going on. And, uh, you know, this is... This, this is the way a lot of the sex trade works. People, you know, people uh, think that all the sex workers are people who've been kidnapped from uh, some other, some foreign country. Or if they're from America, they think, well, this is someone who wants that life. Hmm. Well, not really. No, no it, there are people who want that life. There are some, some naked dancers who make a lot of money and get to keep it and are very happy. But they're a, a distinct minority. Most of them do not get to see their money. Uh, they get to visit their money for a couple of hours and they have to give it to their pimp 
who takes every single penny and gives them enough money for a sandwich. And they make, they make him rich because you're thinking, you know, she could save that money and then she could move to another country and they, he couldn't find her, but she doesn't get to save it. She, never, she, she only gets to hold it for a couple of hours. Uh, and people don't understand that. These people are virtual slaves because they don't have enough money to take a bus to the next town. And uh, this is, this is, you know, so men enjoy, men who like to go to these bars and watch girls dance, enjoy the fantasy that the girls are up there smiling because they're happy to be there. Right. And most of them are not, but they enjoy this fantasy. They're they're very tragic places. I've been to one and I've been to a few in my youth, and I look back now, uh, and I just think now with sadness that it, it, that was not a, that was not a place of fun. That nobody's really happy to be there except for goofy guys who want to ogle women. And yeah, what you're saying is is makes it painfully true that yeah, so many of those young women are miserable there. And uh, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I wonder if. Looking back, you know, taking a step back from the book itself, did your experiences as reserve police officer, were, did you observe a lot of this stuff firsthand? Um, I occasionally was called to clubs to, you know, to, to, you know, put down a fight or something. No, actually, I observed, I've been married twice. I'm married to my second wife now of 20 years. When I was a young fellow, I married another girl. And uh, she saw how much fun I was having as a reserve police officer that she ended up becoming a deputy sheriff and became oh. a detective. And she worked the, uh, she worked uh, sex trafficking cases. Uh, she was mostly burglary, but she was worked one big sex trafficking case that she followed for months. And uh, I remember she took me to one of these houses. We just drove past it. And she said, there's girls in there being held prisoner. And they're, uh, oh. this is during the, when they were building the Alaska pipeline. And she said, these guys mm -hmm. are going to be, they're held by a motorcycle club. And they're being sold and they're going to go sit, sent up to Alaska. And I said, why, why can't we just go in there and get them? Send it a SWAT team. Yeah. Said, she said, because they won't testify. These guys, they have all been very carefully addicted to heroin. And uh, if we, if we lock them up, they'll be, they'll be dying for a fix in 12 hours. And they'll say anything that their pimp wants to get another fix and they won't testify against them. So, uh, if we rescue them, we'll just be kidnapping them and we'll have to turn them back, turn them loose the next day. She said, we'd like to do it, but we can't. And so I heard about this for quite a long time. I heard all the details. And she could tell me because I was a fellow officer, if I was just her husband, she couldn't have told me this. Hmm. It, that's, that's astounding. I don't, I, I don't think I'd ever really fully understood that, you know, it's, yeah, it, there's, there's, I think occasionally you see in film it's, and they make it almost a romantic notion, you know, that if it, you know, it's the, the, the girl, you know, the, the, the whore with the heart of gold who just, you know, just looking for the right person or whatever, but as you're saying that they're, they're, they're virtual slaves. They're, that's well, just yeah, no other I way think, around it. There's, I think one of the most evil movies ever made was pretty woman. Amen. Amen. That, that movie glorified, prostitution as if it was just let well you know once prince charming arrives it's all good as, as, right yeah, as though she were happy and could easily find love um not true yeah not true at all not true at all so you know so murph has got a lot going on here he's not he's not only got problems with from without which is north korea you know but what from within his own family he's dealing with all this and korea's game this is 
this is, and I, you know, I, I don't do this often, but uh, I think, I think, you know, I got a little vibe of Tom Clancy going on here, but I got to say something. Uh, I was never a huge fan of his because I never thought that the, the characters came off the page very well, but here, this is different. You've got, you got characters that I think are, are fully fleshed and are coming at you and you, and you're believing what they're saying. It's, it's not so, it's not a technocratic book, if, if that makes sense. And I hope I'm not damning with faint praise by saying that, but I, it comes from a good place. Actually, you're getting at what I'm proudest of is I, is I, uh, I love my characters. And I, I get constant praise uh, from anyone who reads the book. I get nice little notes about, we loved your characters. And I've got a, a sleeper character in there that I, uh, I never write about him. But he's the character, everybody picks him out and says, gee, we, you know, we just love Doc. <laughs> I, I got to say something real quick. I've written a mystery series. There. We're on our eighth book. And uh, book two, I brought in this character to be kind of a sidekick to the lead guy. He's he's as popular as the lead guy. Everybody's like, his nickname is Taters. So where's Taters in this book? Is he going to be in the next book? I literally get that all the time. Isn't it funny how that kind of sneaks up on you with the character? Well, you know, one of the things that you learn as, as an author is, you know, we all fall in love with our characters. Every writer, every writer does. But if you want to write good books, if you want to write good thrillers, you have to take one or two, at least, of your good characters and kill them. And it breaks your heart. Hurt, it breaks your heart to kill them. But the thing yeah. is, if the readers are not exper experiencing some tension, like, oh, my God, they're not going to kill Doc, are they? Oh, my God, they, they can't do that. You know, and right. they, oh my God, they killed him. You know, you know if they, uh, when they're going through that, then, then they got to keep turning pages to see if everybody else is safe. And that's what makes the book fun. Yeah. It's so true. I, I've been there. I, I killed off a beloved character early on, but I want to tell you something. I regret it because I miss him terribly. I had to, I went back and created a book of short stories based on the perspectives of secondary characters in all the books. The main character is talked about, but is not in this book of shorts, right? And mm -hmm. I, I was so thrilled because I gave myself the opportunity to give this long dead character an origin story. And people told me that's one of their favorite stories. So um, it, it's, it's a powerful magnetic draw to those characters who you love so much. And uh, uh, it's, it's evident in your writing and what you're doing here. Uh, this is, this is also um, it's a, it's a, it's a quick read in the sense that, you know, it moves along, but it's not, it's not a short book. We're looking at, you know, what are we about 500 pages or so? Yeah. Yeah. Well, right, so we, course... I'm dying. I'm, yeah, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I just the last part of the question. I'm dying to know. Did you did you trim any out of there uh, before you uh, took it to press? I'm just curious. I uh, I intended the book to run around 300 pages, but there was just so much story to tell that I uh, that I I couldn't. I didn't want to cut stuff out. I guess I could have, but I couldn't. Well. You, you you toyed with a different title early on. Don't have to go too deep into that. Um, but um, I, I am curious about it because I think that it's got it's got some legs here, just on my, you know, what my opinion's worth. You know, 25 cents will get you a cup of coffee. But um, uh, I love I love the tagline, we're already in a cyber war. We just don't know it. I love that. It's very theatrical. And I, I'm curious, do you when will the, the book hit the stands, uh, Korea's game as is? And then are there any... Any plans to do anything else with it? Well, I'll tell you, I, uh, I self-published that book as a cyber war attack um, three years ago. And uh, I, you know, I, it just, I, I had to do the cover myself. I couldn't afford an artist, uh, but I was proud of the cover. Had a good book. Uh, 
There's a place called Kirkus, which reviews books for libraries. And Kirkus right. is, is famous for saying, don't buy this book. Yeah. They, they, I mean, they, they don't mince words. And I, I was shocked. They like this book. They give it a good review. And I, uh, of course, I was thrilled. But the thing is, you know, there's an old joke uh, about the, the dying comedian and his friends are crying. And he says, ah, he says, dying is easy. Comedy's hard. <laughs> and, and my version of that is writing is easy. Marketing's hard. <laughs> it's the worst. It's the worst. <laughs> so I wrote a good book. And I, I didn't I didn't have any money to market it because it would take, right. you know, tens of thousands of dollars to get put it out. And I was right. trying to hook up with a, uh, a mainstream publisher and I just couldn't. I just didn't have the, the ganas that it takes. So I got advice from a professional and uh, from, from a, a, profession, a professional agent. He said, change your title and said, you need to put the make this book a movie and you need all the movie producers are buying books with foreign uh, involvement titles. So I changed the title to uh, Korea's Game. And uh, then I, I found some other professional, professional advice. They hooked me up with a, uh, a mainstream screenwriter who has uh, written and sold a lot of movies that were produced. She, most recently, she did Driver. And that was uh, Jeannie Graham Scott. So I had her write the screenplay. We, uh, we prepared a complete screenplay uh, uh, document series where you send about 50 pages with, with the main screenplay. But most important, the most, the most important thing is you make what's called a sizzle reel. You produce a, a preview for the movie that's never been made. <laughs> and so, uh, and, and this cost me, uh, you know, I had, to, I, had to, I had to choose between selling the cat and selling the dog, but, they, but one of them had to go. Uh, <laughs> but I, uh, I, and I anted up the money and I, I produced a sizzle, sizzle reel. And, uh, I, and I'm, this, I'm sending this out to both film producers and I'm sending it to book publishers too, because all these people are too busy to read the book and they're too busy right. to read the screenplay, but they'll look at a three minute sizzle reel and that'll give them an idea if they want it. So uh, now, is now this, I have a, is this, a website. Yeah, I was just um, gonna say, is this the sizzle reel? Is that on your website as the trailer? Is that what yes, we're looking at here? Uh, did oh, you get a chance man. to look at that? I did. I, that's a very nice sizzle reel you got. There. I, I, I was going to say the other, I was, I didn't realize that's you know a sizzle reel so to speak. I thought, oh, book trailer, which I've done a few of those, but I just wasn't sure if they moved the needle. But I looked at this one and I thought, hey, got something going on here. This is a, this is both a book trailer and a movie trailer. It's primarily a movie trailer, and uh, my my website is um, www of course. And then it's author, and sometimes people think I mean Arthur, like the name Arthur, but no, it's author, right. A-U-T-H-O-R, author Ed McDonald, that's all one word, authoredmcdonald.com. And there you can see uh, all the details about the book and the main characters and so on and so forth. You can read a couple of the chapters and uh, you can see the sizzle reel. Yeah. Uh, it's a, hand, I, I it's made, a handsome. Uh, one change when oh, I yeah. went from cyber war to, to Korea's game. I added a, brief, a short chapter at the beginning, which I intended to be part of, part of the movie titles, and a short chapter at the end, which I intended to be part of the uh, credits at the end of the uh, at the end of the movie. Right. And I wrote those in a slightly different style because uh, they were written more for film than for, uh, for for literary art. But otherwise, the two books are identical. Yeah. 
Well, it's it's a handsome website. It's really really nice uh, site, and you've got to go on here, folks. And there'll be a link in the show notes uh, to authoredmcdonald.com where you can go and you click on the trailer and you can watch the sizzle reel and you can learn more about Ed and the book and the reviews. And you know, he's not joking when he says Kirkus. If Kirkus review says something nice, and part of what they said was it's solid writing promises a worthy series. So Ed McDonald, I'm going to put you on the spot. You, let's just. Let's just put the movie talk aside for a second here. Are we going to get a series out of this deal? Are we going to get a sequel or is that contingent on making a movie? Well, you know, I had to put that into writing for the, uh, for the uh, screenplay uh, promotion. People don't, these guys like, a, especially streaming cable. And can I say the sacred word? Netflix. Everybody <laughs> wants Netflix and I'm no different. They don't want to buy one book. They want to buy a series. And they want to, they, and you produce what's called the series Bible, and it gives the right. name and a summary of each of the books in sequence that are that are that are to come. So I'm halfway through the uh, the first sequel, um, which is Amer um, American Armageddon. Third, when I'm halfway through that, the third, the next book would be Invasion America, and the book after that would be Dragons in the Sea. Ooh. Dragons in the Sea is about when America becomes England. That is to say, we were the greatest country in the world, but we still have the greatest Navy, even though we're poor. Right. So uh, we, we, we may have to borrow money from you, but don't mess with us because we still got all those missiles and, and cruisers. You're right. <laughs> well, that's kind of, that's actually also kind of like Russia, right? I mean, they, they, they're, they're still super powerful, but their economy's pretty, pretty paper thin, is it not? Well, of course, you have to you have to pump up the economy within 20 years, or else the navy starts eroding. Uh, and in the in the fourth book, uh, Dragons in the Sea, of course, it, the dragons are the submarines. But right. it's uh, there's a lot of um, political intrigue and shenanigans and plotting and scheming about how they can get some foreign country to to send out the bunker fuel for the jet for the jet planes and for the other the non-nuclear boats and it's, and every month they need to get enough food to fill to feed thousands of sailors for a month and right. uh, the, the united states can't really afford that so the uh the navy has to cut all kinds of deals that they'd rather no one ever knew about to keep the navy floating oh wow Oh, this th okay that's got me uh but that's the fourth one right that's not that's i mean that's one. uh that's a ways off, but that I'm already hooked on that one. That fascinates me. So it's, it's not I really, wrote, I already wrote the last page to the fourth book. But when I, when I wrote really... it, I intended it to be the end forever. By the time I was through writing it, I realized that I was really coming up to book five would come next. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm just going to warn you as a guy who started out with like a one-off and then I thought, all right, a trilogy. And here I am, like I said, I'm struggling to get through finished book eight. It's just, if, if you have any popularity at all, which of course I see you're going to, it's going to be hard to stop. But why stop? If you're having fun and if you can, if you can dangle that in front of Netflix, my goodness, sir, Godspeed to you on that. Ed, as we wrap this thing up here, we're going to make sure everybody has the link to know how to get a hold of this book um, and more about you and look at the sizzle reel. But uh Anything I forgot to ask you about that you want to make sure you plug while we while we got you? Well, I want to repeat the website address. It's www.authoredmcdonald.com. Uh, right now, the book is for sale in most of the venues, you know, Books a Million and Barnes and Noble and so forth. Um, and it's for sale as Cyber War Attack. 
And the uh, the only thing is the only difference is there's uh, the the two little scenes that I wrote for the movie titles. Right. Um, right. Now, and it's yeah. going to be uh, and I'm looking I'm looking to get one of the big publishing companies to take it. And my dream is that someday I will see this book for sale on a shelf at Costco. Uh, oh yeah. In which case I will I can die happy uh, and rich. Uh, I tell you, yeah. I mean, uh, I you know if I saw my book on a table at Costco, I would splurge on the on the rotisserie chicken. <laughs> Instead of just the samples, I would <laughs> I'd go crazy. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I tried to put real people into this. Yeah. And uh, I, have you? Yeah, you've read it. I, apparently. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I, I try to put things in there that relate. You know, like when uh, when Murph is talking to Eddie, the electrician, and he's saying, uh, you know, uh, Eddie says, "You're not going to be like my other customers, are you? You want you get me in here to, uh, to install something, and then you say, oh, and by the way, my my electric refrigerator doesn't work. <laughs> You're not going to do that, are you?" He said, "Well, you know, uh, my it seems like my television got nuked at the power surge last night." Would, could, you, could you take a look at it? And he, Eddie rolls his chair back, looks through the door, and he says, yeah, it looks nuked to me. That'll be $5. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> oh, man. Ed McDonald, I uh, I got to tell you, I am excited for you. This is look, looking good. Uh, Korea's Game is the book. You can find it right now as Cyber War Attack at all the usual suspects. Visit authoredmcdonald.com for more. Check out that sizzle reel. It's a treat. And of course, the links are in the show notes. Ed McDonald, thanks so much for joining me here on Mysterious Goings On. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. Hey, folks, we're going to take a quick break in the episode. I probably mentioned here and there that I have another podcast called PR After Hours. PR After Hours is basically an after hours virtual lounge where public relations, marketing and general business professionals get together and have a laid back conversation about what they do and how we can help each other. It's great tips if you're running a business or if you're part of a PR or marketing team or you own your own business. I guarantee you'll learn a lot of stuff. It's a twice weekly show. We've been doing it for a year now. Very proud of it. And you can get it right here on Anchor FM or pretty much wherever you get quality podcasts. But if you want to learn more information about PR After Hours, please visit PRAfterHours.com. I hope you'll check it out. It's a little bit different vibe, obviously, than Mysterious Goings On. But also, I think, you you know, if you're not careful, you might learn something and have a laugh or two as well. Thanks so much. Again, that's PR After Hours on Anchor FM. This is Jedley. I'm the host of the Reading With Your Kids podcast, and you are listening to the Mysterious Goings On podcast. Thanks so much for listening to Mysterious Goings On. Don't forget we have a complete archive of all of our interviews, monologues, updates, live readings, dead readings. All of that stuff is available at mgopod.com. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to us so you never miss an episode. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all the usual suspects. Please join us there. Again, don't forget, mgopod.com also has links where to find me on social media and how to get in touch in case you want to be a guest here on the show. Well, I think it's time that I move on for this week, but until next time, keep reading.